hey, hey, way to show up today. You're going to be listening to something that's going to have a positive impact on your life. My name is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Mandy Capehart. Mandy is an author, speaker, and certified grief and life coach here in the Pacific Northwest. She is the founder of the Restorative Grief Project, an online community of grievers and grief supporters looking for movement while they heal. Her own experiences with grief left her searching for resources. When she found nothing, she created it for herself and for those who need it. Just a few of the golden takeaways Mandy shares in this episode are how to cope with losing a loved one and create a healthier, happier relationship with yourself and others through value alignment. Shortcuts to starting your own consulting business and why you need to start having supervision conversations, which you'll find out what that is here shortly. So without further ado, this is me and Mandy Capehart. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, Mandy, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, TJ, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here on your show. Well, I appreciate that. It's great to be chatting with you today. I've been excited for this conversation ever since we first connected because I believe your story and the work that you're doing is incredibly impactful and it's necessary to lean into this type of work because the reality is we all experience grief at some point in our lives and learning how to embrace losses without losing ourselves is vital, especially for entrepreneurs. So looking forward to diving into all of that. But before we do, I'd like to just start with a bit of background on your personal journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your story before you became the adventurous entrepreneur you are today? Of course. Actually, it's funny because even as a child, I never thought I would own my own business. I wanted the security of working for someone else and the lack of responsibility in a sense of having to take care of my own details and run my own business. Um, and so I went to school for journalism, uh, anthropology and communications and photography with the intention of going into the world as a writer and travel journalist and just document what's going on around like National Geographic style. That was my dream. Love that. And then <laughs> uh, as I got a little older, I ended up jumping between a bunch of different careers, trying to decide, waiting for Nat Geo to find me. And they, they have... <laughs> missed out greatly yes, they have. overlooking me uh, <laughs> because I ended up transitioning into a lot of different roles in education, finance, uh, project management, so many different just career skill sets that built up in all these different roles, but every single one of them completely lacked growth opportunities. And for me, that's what I need. I have to find ways to constantly be challenged. And so I ended up deciding professionally to go into my own business, build out my own business, uh, right after the pandemic came to the U S actually, I had lost my job in finance, which was a good thing because yeah, I blessing in disguise. Oh my gosh. That industry is so 
rife with brilliant people. I am not one of them. It was not my wheelhouse. It's probably the least enjoyable thing to me, despite the head knowledge I have about it. And so deciding to write this book about grief um, and surviving loss in the context of your faith practice really came out of my own experience of losing my mom, uh, losing my grandfather, pretty close to one another. And, and I just had enough losses in my life that I really can't can't count them all. Probably since I was little, there've been someone that's died or moved away or divorced or had some kind of traumatic experience that affected me pretty greatly. So when my mom died and I stepped down from a lot of my leadership positions that I was in with my church, with my community, I realized I need to do something with my life that is impactful. And I think that means starting a business and I don't want to, (laughs) it's so much responsibility. But it also means the freedom and flexibility that I've always wanted, as long as I can commit to the vision long-term. Because as I said, all of these jobs I've had leading up to this have been kind of dead end that I could stay and be totally secure long-term, but I was bored out of my mind. I wanted a challenge and I wanted constant opportunities to grow and to learn new things. So launching my own coaching practice was Um, not nearly as effortless as I wanted it to be, but it was definitely the right, right decision for me. Yeah. Well, and I respect that tremendously. I mean, the comfort and safety of a typical nine to five is definitely desirable in so many ways, but to follow something that you were passionate about and doing it with the purpose of being able to impact the lives of others, obviously that's a tremendous gift that you're giving to the world. But as you said, that's scary. That is really scary to embark on that type of journey. So I'm curious because a lot of people out there have ideas. They they want to start a business someday, potentially. What were some of the things that you did during that transition? Obviously, getting let go by the, the company you were working for made it a lot easier to start yeah. a new pursuit. But Vision made. Vision made, yeah. I mean, sometimes the pieces just fall into place like that. But is there anything that helped you as you were making that transition in terms of deciding, yep, I'm going all in on this and and this is how I'm going to do it. These are kind of the baby steps I'm going to take to start this business and head down the path to ultimately being able to help people. Yeah, I started with the small business development center at our local community college. Actually, we I used to work for financial aid advising at the college locally and it took me a minute to remember that they existed and realize like those resources are free. So I contacted them right away to get all the legal paperwork in order and just ask a few questions. And they were so helpful because they want you to succeed. And I'll never forget. I got off the call and he goes, or I started to get off the call and he said, congratulations, you just created a job. Well done. You are contributing to the economy. And I was like, I'm a grown woman. Yeah. And of course that doesn't yeah. seem like a big deal, but it is right. It seems oh, it's such a big deal. It is. So I started with that. I had a few friends, I have quite a few friends who own small businesses and they all are very um, goods oriented. Very few mm-hmm. of my local connections are service oriented businesses. And so I didn't have a whole lot of local people to draw on for wisdom or just insight. Uh, so I turned to Twitter and Instagram and started connecting with people that I didn't, I didn't even start with LinkedIn. I just went for the socials specifically because my service industry is around grief and loss and, and life coaching as well. And so I wanted to, first of all, connect with people potentially who could become clients, but also find other business owners doing something similarly and take notes and 
pay attention to not the content that they're creating or putting in the world, but the way that they're presenting it. Because I think that that's something we get really caught up on is trying to mimic the business owners around us and become just like them. When the reality is I am my brand, right? As much as I can say, restorative grief is the brand or the book is the brand. My face is the brand. I am the brand, right? And so reminding myself that my unique perspective, my approach, the way I show up in the world is what creates magnetism towards what I'm offering was really important because then I could say, well, how do I package that without being inauthentic or too structured really? So that was, that was really where I started. And of course it's a couple of years in now and I'm still in that place trying to refine and, and remind myself it's okay that I don't have a, you know, six digit figure income from a coaching practice that I've worked so hard on, but yeah, it's it's never ending. I mean, you if you want to succeed, you can never stop learning. But what I love about what you just shared, because it's the polar opposite of how I went about it, is that you looked for help in the beginning. I made the mistake of trying to figure out everything on my own, letting my ego get in the way, thinking I knew how to do everything, not finding mentors, not finding a tribe of people that had done it before. And that is a recipe for maybe not disaster, but a much slower runway to success. So I love that you went to the SBA. They have tremendous resources. Anybody, you know, if you're close by to a university or a community college, more likely than not, there is something SBA driven there where you can plug into resources, workshops, find mentors that can really help you just shortcut so many of the things that slow people down when they're starting a business. What I also loved though, Mandy, is that you found people that were already doing what you wanted to do. And I'm curious if you had any, you know, secret sauce, if you will, any tips for finding people and and how you went about kind of deciphering what was working well for them and what you wanted to apply in your own business. Well, I think we all have, so this will sound a little bit like this is kind of how I approach coaching relationships too, is we all have something that makes us feel fully alive, right? We all have, we may not identify it in name, but we know what it is when we see it or we experience it. It just hits you in the center of who you are and you can't put your finger on it, but you need more of it. The same is true of when we see things we don't like, we're immediately repelled. And so what I paid attention to, especially in the beginning was energy exchanges, like Mm -hmm. recognizing this person is putting something into the world that feels good for lack of a better word. And what that means is for me, there's gotta be some kind of value alignment between what I care about and what they care about because the way they are presenting themselves and I could be fooled. And there were plenty of times that I reached out to people. And I was like, Oh, you're a terrible person. Yep. Okay. You're a great marketer. <laughs> you're just putting on a face on social media. Totally. But, yes. Yeah. Which is for me a huge, like inauthentic. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a persona for work and a reality personality. Um, so I think for me, I recognized why well, I really like the way that this person presents their information. They're inviting me in. They're not packaging a program. They're asking me to reflect. They're not asking me to buy into something. And I think with uh, specifically in the coaching world, it's really, really difficult to be a coach that doesn't have a program to sell. That's where I sit. That's where a couple of my friends that I uh, consider peers that we have, you know, we call them supervision conversations, but we, we call each other once a month and we just share like what's going on in our practice. 
how do we, what do we want to focus on? Where do we need some feedback? And that peer to peer mentorship has really given us the courage to continue as coaches without a program <laughs> to sell without a package yeah. deal, because it's not possible to be really effective with anyone selling them a package. It feels it, you know, we're in the people business. And if we can't read people, number one, when we're looking for people to, to pay attention to, or to glean from, then we need to go back and do some more work on how to interpret characteristics and pay attention to what people are presenting, because that's, especially with grief work, that's really, really quite easy to fake. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious about the supervision conversations. Do you guys have a standard structure to those calls? Like when you're preparing for that, do you come in with a specific topic and like, just run us quickly through how do those calls work? Cause I love this idea. It's something I think a lot of people would get value from. Yeah, they're wonderful. So my immediate person that I do it with most consistently every four to six weeks, we basically will say if we have a client situation and we're all very careful not to disclose any details, mm -hmm. if we have a specific situation that we're like, this isn't quite making sense. I'm not sure how to approach, or really this client is pushing back in this arena. And I don't know if I need to set a boundary and close the relationship, or if I am just getting activated personally and need to take a step back and figure out how to coach them well. So part of it is just reflecting in a way that you might in a counseling professional setting where you have someone supervising your work. And then the other part of it is working on the business. So the primary purpose is how are we marketing? Well, are we supporting our own vision by showing up on social media authentic, not even authentically, but just in a way that is true to what we want to present, not in yeah. a clickbaity, oh, this was a really cute thing you shared, or this was super funny. Yeah, but it had nothing to do with the reality of who you are. It was just a funny meme or something rather than. Yeah. Maybe uh, there's a time and place for that, but. There is. And, yeah. and even in grief work, I was just yesterday sitting and kind of giggling to myself, thinking about how to make light of that very heavy topic because mm -hmm. I have a pretty dark sense of humor. My sister does too. And once we saw this funny, like video of a woman doing both characteristics of she's telling these funny jokes as her coping mechanism and yeah. enacting the reactions of all these people, her, her parents, her friends, her, her mentors, her boss, everyone who's horrified. And then the sister that's laughing and agreeing with her, like, yeah, that's hilarious. Dead mom jokes. Right. <laughs> They make most people uncomfortable and that's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's good. The, the, the supervision conversations are nice because they allow me to then also get out of my own way. I am the biggest critic. I have so much on my plate. So thinking, many of us are. Right. And, and sometimes when you're overwhelmed by that or even just life circumstances, everything becomes top priority. I really love giving all of my top priorities to my person and saying, help me refine. My brain is broken right now. I and love that. They are really helpful at reminding me, go back to your purpose. What's the mm -hmm. purpose of doing all this? What is this unto? And that has allowed both of us to really recognize like, you're right. I should close down my clients right now or like close my open spots because I yeah. have too many, or maybe I can take on more and offer this specific type of coaching or support, but it's no, wonderful. It's it's a super valuable practice and there's so many ways you can do it, but mm -hmm. you know, having that feedback of course is tremendously valuable. But for me, sometimes it's just getting it out of my head and, and speaking it to somebody 
that helps me to say, oh yeah, that's what I need to do. Or that's the thought pattern that I'm having. I need to turn the switch on that a little bit because as you said, I need to get back to my purpose and me feeling sorry for myself or worrying about imposter syndrome or, or how I'm being perceived with this new content strategy. That's not going to help me follow the purpose that I set on in the first place. So I love yeah, that. And we're, we're really stuck in that if your business like mine is primarily based through social media interactions, yeah. it's exhausting because social media was never designed to actually create the community and the conversations we're trying to pull out of them. So imposter syndrome is, it's, it's like scratching the surface of how complex it can be when you're on that platform and trying to build a community of people. I was telling her this at one point in our meetings, I was so frustrated because grief specifically has so much nuance. And I kept coming across grief professionals who were inadvertently spiritually bypassing or using coaching to say, I found pain to have a purpose to it. Let me teach you how through my four-step program. And it just infuriated me because one, I'm an easily activated, I will defend anyone who is vulnerable kind of a person. And that to me felt like taking advantage of the vulnerable people. Um, But I also think that it's completely reasonable. And in fact, often people don't find any purpose in their pain and they don't want to have it transformed into a new life path. They actually just want to integrate and feel okay again. And the pressure to do otherwise and find purpose is so heavy that I would just feel so defensive of my, as I'm trying to build my own practice and not become someone that's just against the coaching practices that I see and don't have a lot of respect for. I'm trying to be for something meaningful that I can actually help facilitate in someone's life. So yes, it's, uh, it's really quite interesting how that supervision draw back in. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to your point, there's no one size fits all for, anything. One coach is going to be the right fit for somebody and and you're going to be the perfect fit for, for somebody else. So staying true to what you want to do and not conforming to, you know, the standard program or, or what you see glamorized on social media. I, I really do respect that. And I'm curious about your book. So your book, Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses Without Losing Ourselves is available on Amazon for anybody that's listening. And it's a 31-day guidebook and memoir of loss, life, and learning how to tread water. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs out there, at least the ones that I've met, aspire to write a book someday. And it's easier today than, than ever before to get a book out there into the world, you know, with Amazon especially, but it's still a lot of work. So I'm curious if you learned anything from your experience and, you know, if you can share just a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Yeah. I mean, I learned tremendous amounts. I, so like I said, by trade, I went to school as a journalist. So I've been a writer for a very long time. Um, and I think that's honestly a big part of why I was really hard on myself while I was writing this book. I did all of it myself, start to finish the cover design, the layout, the editing, wow. uh, the formatting, every bit of it is me. I, ha- I did pay a friend to also edit as well. We both went to school as editors together. And so he was wonderful and tremendously helpful, but, uh, it was still uh, my baby. I wanted to get it done and out while I was between jobs at the start of COVID. And also because I was watching my immediate community just disintegrate mm. and it had been four years after my mom died at that point. And I was at the place where I was like, I think I can help this faith community. I'm a part of understand 
what was successful and how they supported me through loss and what wasn't because faith communities are notoriously terrible. I mean, most people don't know what to do in grief, but they are notoriously terrible at grief simply because their emphasis is on trying to commute or communicate life and everlasting life. You know, there's no yeah. real time to sit and truly lament or explore what that means. And so my own faith was very rattled and, and changed significantly during my process. And I thought, let me find a way to create tiny little consumable chunks so that that brain fog of grief where you cannot read. And I'm sure there are people who are like, oh, I was grieving and I was reading just fine. In my experience and most people I've ever worked with, that is not the case. Being able to read and retain even fiction when you are grieving is kind of a joke. Yeah. So this book is very punchy and challenging. I have a lot of friends who've bought it and I ask, hey, it's been a year since you bought that. Have you gone through it? And they're like, no, I'm terrified. I can't read it. I was like, I understand that. I'm not offended. I get it. Um, because even I've gone through it a few times myself after the fact and just felt there's a lot of weightiness to it, but the invitation within it is really to become open-handed. How do you recognize everything that has served you and allow it to pass if necessary, because you are grieving and you will experience secondary losses as a result of this primary loss, whatever it is, whether it's a death, a move, a divorce, a missed opportunity, a broken expectation. Grief is so much more vast than death. And we, as a culture, just have not created space for that conversation. And so this book has really just been a platform for me to recognize that I see where you're at, dear sweet human. And I might not be the right person for you. This book might not be right for you. Um, as a side note, because it is faith-based, I have a lot of friends that I've met who are not faith-based, who are mm -hmm. maybe their humanist perspective, maybe they're atheists, maybe they're deconstructing their faith and they just don't know where they land. And I've been very clear, hey, this will activate the pain you're already going through. Do not read my book. Don't bother, <laughs> not offended, don't pick it up. Yep. I can work with you separately, but let's not go down that road. But the book itself actually is what generated the coaching practice. I was done with the manuscript and in editing mode when a wildfire annihilated two of our towns, wiped out 2,500 um, 2, homes oh, just around the corner from me. And I was really overwhelmed and worried. And a bunch of my friends lost their homes. Three people died. They were um, man-made fires. There was one, and then there were two others that started because like, in response. Where was, was this? In Southern Oregon. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize. Yeah. So I'm from Ashland. So I know, oh. exactly, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. yeah so the many, many of my, yeah. Many of my friends, parents, former teachers, people I grew up with. Yeah. Same, same boat. So. so I ended up realizing it's now or never, right. I was part of faith community and I decided let's just launch this book as a coaching group and see if it's effective for anyone. See if anybody feels like they have a resource here because our church was, is a huge building and it became kind of the central hub for storage, for supplies, for people being able to come in and get services yeah. uh, in the aftermath for quite a while. And so I was like, I, I don't mean to say I have a test group, but shoot, I have a test group. Let's find out if this is just for me. And I wrote my story for me, or if this is practical and helpful. Uh, so the coaching group launched online that fall and it was 
quite good. It went really well. And I mean, to this day, majority of my clients are still fire survivors who are working through the secondary losses of security and of peace of mind and of feeling supported and then forgotten and all so the other much things. there. So much. It's it's hard because I I want to, I will say that I can like proudly say all of these clients are, are thriving and doing really well and integrating practices that help address when those things come back up. But I think one of the biggest things that has taught me is how to mitigate the fact that we have a culture that wants grief to end. And the book really, I can't remember if it speaks directly to that as a big point, but in general, it says, you know, don't expect this to have a timeline. The reality is grief changes who we are irrevocably. And so as we learn to heal, we are learning to, in fact, move through our grief, through our mind, our heart, our body, and our spirits, our sense of connection to ourselves and other people, right? And what that does is it allows us to integrate this new understanding of who we are in the world and how we show up for ourselves, because I'm not the same woman I would be today if my mom were still here. I'm just not. I, I could say that there's no way I could know that. No, I'm confident that if my mom were still here, I would be relying very differently and functioning differently. I don't know that I ever would have written the book. Yeah. And so it's been really fascinating to see how the book is a wonderful catalyst for what has become um, a really fun career, but it's not the book that brought me to life. I thought, oh, I'm always, I always thought I'd be a writer. Well, obviously I knew I would be a writer, but yeah. I, I never thought this would be the book that I would write. And I never thought that the vibrancy I feel after having a really heavy coaching conversation with someone who's grieving was going to be the story of my life. I get off these calls where people are just falling apart and I feel so inspired and excited for them and hopeful and ready to just advocate the hell out of life for them so they can find a pathway that's meaningful for them as opposed to being handed a book or being handed scriptures and said, well, here's what's going to make you feel better, right? Because that's what with all the most beautiful intentions, that's what most people do. They can't mm -hmm. tolerate our discomfort. And so they try to fix our discomfort by centering their awareness and their understanding and their needs in our stories when we really just need a witness. Yeah, need somebody to help be that guide. And it's clear to me that you've built your business, your coaching around your core values and really your passion for helping people overcome these very challenging experiences in their lives. Is there a certain process that you take clients through to really identify what their core values are and how they can pursue them in a way that aligns with their goals and passions and ultimately helps them <laughs> overcome grief? Yeah, yeah, there is. And that's really where we start. I try to break down the idea that we are uh, in binaries or stuck within binary thinking. So things are good, things are bad, things are healthy, things are unhealthy, right? the first thing we do is kind of strip that away so that when we experience something we don't want to experience, we can have some compassion for what we're going through. And remember, well, that is a thought or that is a feeling in my body or a memory of something that I just really don't want anymore because it doesn't serve me, but it was also connected to these hard things, these grief events, or um, that I don't want to experience anymore. When the reality is that if we can have compassion for where we were, we can then shift the way that we respond to it. I have a client who is coming out of some super intense, high control 
situations in their life and the constant narration of who they are and what they are is on repeat so loudly that it does not matter how effective or successful they feel at the end of a session with me together, they will repeat that narrative and feel beholden to it. And so where we work through in restorative grief coaching is starting with remembering what their core values are, maybe just one core value Mm -hmm. in the current season. I think people get really caught up in, well, my core values are that I'm an honest, integrous, trustworthy person. Fabulous. Do those three core values serve you right now where you are? Because if not, it's entirely permissible to set them aside and just trust you'll come back to them. You don't stop being an honest and trustworthy person because you're not focusing on it. You're allowing yourself to say, well, what is me? What what do I need in this season right now? When I feel broken, when I feel lost, what does TJ need in the middle of a deep loss that has shaken your sense of self? And a lot of times we'll just practice. We'll experiment with a single core value. We'll go through, I have a bunch of different ways to bring people, of course, like to the unbelievably overwhelming list of core values that exist in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but when we can, I think, honestly, remove ourselves from this feeling of purpose, because again, we are a little bit obsessed as a culture and I trust me, I have a purpose. I love that purpose, but there are some days that things I do are completely counter to it intentionally, just because I used to live in a way where purpose was the only thing that kept me going, or it was the only thing where I found identity, which is really risky. We'll say risky in a way that if that purpose is taken or suddenly I have a shift in my internal self, that that's no longer my focus, my identity follows it. And I don't want that to be happening. I want that to be, I want identity to really be core and centralized and internalized. And so our value work will start with just something very simple and say, well, let's do some things that involve that value, but that reinforce health and connectivity in your mind, body, heart, and spirit, that whole sense of self, as opposed to saying, well, drinking to cope with my, with my loss is not healthy. So I need to just stop. Yeah. Coping mechanisms were created. Like we have them because they're self-protection. They're not inherently bad. They can be dangerous if we're not careful or if we're not intentional, but again, until we really get honest about what we're experiencing and why, and have a sense of self to go along with that, it's really hard to coach anyone. It's hard to create a consistent path for ourselves that has any meaning. If all we're doing is saying, well, everyone keeps telling me I need to stop drinking. So I guess I need to stop drinking. You'll do it until you feel good enough about yourself. And then you go back to things like that again. And so, yeah, the core value work is uh, integral. Yeah. And that sounds like the the base, the foundation for, for everything that, that comes after that with your coaching for people that are not working with somebody like you, they're not working with a coach. Would you still prescribe that same first step to really hone in on a fundamental core value? Or is there something tangible that somebody that may be going through the loss of a loved one or a failed business or, or a missed opportunity and is deep in grief, but hasn't taken that step and reached out for help just yet? Is there something that you would recommend them to, to really start with? Yeah. I don't actually start primarily with core values. I like to start with um, Dan Siegel's work around the window of tolerance. It's a concept about how we respond somatically and internally in our thoughts 
around trauma and loss and activation really. So, Mm -hmm. and I use activation in place of the word triggered just because the connotation of gun violence that goes along with actual physical triggers is really important to be mindful of. So when someone is activated, our window of tolerance, our ability to tolerate an interruption, right? It goes from being really wide open if we're activated to narrowing really, really tightly. And so when something happens, we either shoot into hyper arousal where we are volcanic, where we are yelling, where we're reactive, or we freeze into hypo arousal where we are feeling slothful or lethargic or just low energy and disconnected. So the window of tolerance aware that language gives us an awareness that we can then use to create compassion for ourselves. If you've ever grieved something, I know you will have a memory of at least one time that you were really hard on yourself and said something like, get yourself together, buckle down, pull up your bootstraps, focus, get the work done, just get through this and move on. Um, And all of that language is really violent language towards a, a person who is grieving and in pain. And so that window of tolerance allows us to recognize, kind of take a step back and recognize, wow, I've been through a lot in the last 24 hours. No wonder I'm snapping at people. No wonder I have no energy. The energetic exchange between myself and the people around me is snappy because I haven't slept. I haven't eaten. I haven't cared for my body. I haven't experienced connection to someone that is healthy and not trying to fix me in however long, right? And your window of tolerance can fluctuate throughout the day, but that awareness is what allows you to then take a step back and say, okay, what I'm doing doesn't work right now. What Mm -hmm. I need is something different. I don't necessarily need to know exactly what that different is to realize that I need something. And so I I like to start with um, the window of tolerance because it allows us to move more gently toward ourselves before we ever start to say, well, knowing what's going to serve you well is knowing what your biggest pain point is and what you need. And that comes out of your value system. So if connection is one of my greatest values, and I realize I'm snapping at the people who talk to me because I only talk to two people in a day, every day of my life, no wonder I'm lacking connection. How do I work with myself and also be compassionate because nobody heals overnight which goes back to why I get really stressed out when people say, I've got a five-step program to help you heal. (laughs) It's like, like, no, maybe it's five steps for one person and 500 steps for another. There's, there's no one size fits all. So you got to meet people where they are. And I'm sure. And I also think that it's about ongoing because there's no, I just don't trust it when people say I've been healed and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. congratulations. That's amazing. I'm good. Cause I know that healing is ongoing. If it weren't, there's something very, very wrong with me and everyone that I know, because we all still have thoughts that we are subject to that come back around, whether it's reminding us um, that we lost a pet when we were a child, it doesn't matter if it feels really activating or not. You are still going to be in the ongoing process of healing and finding new ways to integrate and become this version of yourself that you have been becoming along the whole trip, like the whole time you've been alive. It's just not, it's just not a final destination until you croak. And then everybody else starts their healing journey on their own again (laughs) without you. Yeah. All right, Mandy. So this is a podcast about entrepreneurship, but one of the biggest hurdles that all entrepreneurs face at one time or another is living a well-rounded life and doing the things that bring us joy 
with the people that we love most. I'm not a fan of hustle culture. I mean, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, there is always a lot of work to be done. There's always more to do. You can always put in more hours, but at what cost? And so I always love to ask people, what does living a well-rounded life look like for you? And how are you able to create that blend and balance between business and the things that you enjoy? I think that's an, such an important question because play is one of my core values. Mm -hmm. And I very easily set it aside on behalf of other people who need support or who also need to be reminded to play and rest. Um, and so part of me is working towards creating balance by remembering it's a practice that it's not, again, it's the same thing. It's not a skill set that I have suddenly, or I live a balanced life. It's a practice of remembering moment to moment. Is this balanced? It's the kind of the same thing we approach like dietarily, right? We wouldn't just continue to eat bread all day. If we realize all I've eaten today is bread. Yeah. <laughs> is that okay for me today? If I'm really sick, maybe that's the only thing I can tolerate. But most days I know that I need some balance to my sourdough carb intake. So for me, it's a matter of remembering to celebrate when you have a win because I am, like you said, I will put my head down. I'm like, cool. I did it next. Yeah, um, gotta celebrate the wins. Oh even the gosh. small ones. I've never been good at it. I think I just yeah. a lot of drive and a lot of expectation on myself to say like, well, of course you got it done next. Yeah. What's the vision, right? If you could see my whiteboard over here, it's got like 20 different check boxes that have been checked. And I just keep adding to the list instead of like momentarily celebrating each one mm -hmm. and erasing them to refresh the vision. But um, yeah, I very on point for me right now too, because my wife just started a practice where she'll have her priorities for the day, but then she creates a done list. So everything that she has accomplished for the day, she'll make a note of it. And then, you know, ideally we want to get the high priority stuff done, but even if something, we get the curveball, something comes up, we don't finish the big project that we needed to during the day you still can feel accomplished and look back and say, all right, well, actually I, I got a lot done today or not. Yeah. Maybe not every yeah. day is going to be that way. And then it's a useful tool to be able to say, oh yeah, I spent like an hour on social media and then I got distracted and was calling friends or whatever the case may be, but I've started doing it. And for me having the, actually I have it right here. Yeah, just <laughs> have, having the done list on, yeah. on one side at the end of the day, I can say, yeah, okay, that was enough. Like it's 5 p.m. I'm going to go have dinner with my wife. Maybe I didn't get that one big thing done, but I did get all this other stuff done. I'm going to call it for today. Yeah. And I think a big part of that for me too is recognizing that rest is productive. I cannot yeah. function, especially in the high stress, like needed presence of mind business that I've built. If I am unrested, I am inefficient, but I'm also ineffective. And I don't ever want to be ineffective on my own behalf when like, that's the whole reason I started this, right. Was to make a difference and to create change for other people to take advantage for themselves. And so for me, rest, uh, being productive play, taking time, I work from home. So taking time to interrupt whatever I'm doing to run around with the dog or my kid, um, mm -hmm. or even my husband also works from home. So even like stopping what I'm doing and be like, turn off everything. Let's go have lunch. Why not? We would do it. If someone walked into our office and invited us out, here I am. And really remembering like everything is impermanent. Everything we are doing will fall away. Yeah. Everything. And this is the work I do, right? So I sit and I meditate on thoughts of 
ephemeral nature of life and how to balance this idea of attachment healthfully without suffering or how do you have ethical non-attachment to your own child in a way that doesn't lead you to just disconnect because you don't want to get hurt, right? How do you still stay present? So I have all these thoughts in my head and then I have to take a step back and evaluate. Yeah. You know what, what I'm putting my time toward does not matter. It doesn't affect anything important to me. Again, it's not in alignment with my values. And so I'm going to create some balance by playing right now, whether it's, or the other day I was in the middle of a class and an interview and a coaching session, like in and out of meetings all day. And I had like a 30 minute window and I thought, I could sit down and bust out a a huge blog post. That would be great. At least a draft. And Mm -hmm. instead I said, or I could read the next chapter in this awesome fictional book I'm reading that I'm loving. I think I'll do that instead. And I turned off everything. No shame, no guilt. Got there, put my feet up. My timer went off to jump in the class. And I was like, that was the best thing I could have done for myself. And it's funny because it hearkened back to days of college when I had to have balance or I wouldn't survive, right? I felt so obligated to my schoolwork but I was also working and I was running an organization on campus. I had a lot going on and I was intentional about building in time to rest. Then what changed? Well, I got older, (laughs) took on more responsibilities, but that's really it. So I was just like, what if I pretended this was a dorm room? And I was like, suddenly, oh, I want to read because I have only been reading work stuff or school stuff. Anyway. No, I, I appreciate that tremendously. I mean, Again, there's always more to do, but you have to be intentional and start designing your life in a way that allows you to take those breaks, that allows you to be okay with not getting everything on your to-do list done because you do need to rest and recharge. It's important. So marketing question. I'm a marketing guy. I'm always curious to learn how, especially new business owners, cracked the code and found the right vehicles to get in front of and in your case, make a tremendous impact in the lives of their ideal clients. So social media driven, we've talked a little bit about that, but what has worked well for you in attracting new clients? And is there anything that didn't work along the way that taught you something you were able to build on? Hmm. I think one of the things that has worked really well is my podcast. So I host a weekly podcast where it's alternating between interviews with people who are grievers or grief professionals, and then um, a talking point of my own work or just, uh, a coaching point that I go back and forth with. That has been a really powerful way to create some evergreen marketing for myself and for people to be able to say, Hey, I have a question for you. And I can say, here's my quick response on social media. But also if you have time, you might listen to this interview. This person was brilliant. Their work is important and they really hit on this specific topic. So resourcing by connecting with people has been one of the best ways I have found to put my business in front of people because coaching is one thing. Grief coaching is entirely a new beast and it is not just like life coaching with grief mixed in. Grief Mm -hmm. coaching can be like life coaching with grief mixed in, but it's not, it doesn't go both directions. No. Um, That and when Instagram live first really started, I was not interested in it whatsoever. And then I decided, you know, this might be a really easy way to help establish my expertise. Not just like I'm sitting here saying, come and talk to me, give me your questions because no one wants to ask them. That's way too vulnerable. And I would never put that on someone. And then the people who are willing to be vulnerable on social media are also often the people who aren't quite ready for the the actual work that you have to do within grieving. 
um, they want a, an answer, which quick fix. Right. So I would go live and just say, Hey, we're talking about permission to cry today and what that actually means. And it really helped me refine the, refine the purpose of what I was doing, but also to um, create awareness that I wasn't just someone who had lost her mom and decided to write a book. I'm actually quite intelligent and capable of doing what I'm doing, but also the heart behind it and my ability to show up was, was finally present. And so, and I think I had an advantage in that, like, I wasn't, I've never been the person that had like three different MLMs they were working on social media. <laughs> like I've always just yeah, been yeah. me. And so to be able to start talking very honestly about what I was experiencing in my personal life, but also what all of this education and training classes really um, was bringing out in me and, and helping to inspire and shape my, my business. So that I would say that, and the things that really didn't work, shoot everything else. Yep. <laughs> all the times I try to emulate, like what other people are doing, it's just, it falls completely flat. It's not me. It's like trying to be what everyone else is in the world and trying to make, oh, well, if my Instagram page just looks right enough or has the best colors or just has the right feel or the right font, then people are going to come in. And the reality is that's not even close to true. What's going to draw them in is again, like I'm my brand. And so how do I remain present? Even if it's even scalable someday, hopefully, how do I remain present and true to what I want to bring to the world instead of just making more noise? Yeah. I appreciate that because at the end of the day, it's good to learn from others. And there's a lot to be, a lot to be said about, you know, kind of shortcutting the path to success by following someone else's success. But if you try to be someone else, especially when it comes to social media, people will sniff out that inauthenticity a mile away and it, it will be crickets and it won't feel good doing it. It won't be fun. It won't be sustainable. You won't be able to be consistent with it. And that's something that I've learned the hard way as well. You know, trying to be like all the the flashy marketers that are out there. That's not me. The more that I've done it and learned that I want to talk about positivity. I want to talk about work-life balance. I want to talk about, you know, not buying into hustle culture. Like that's my brand and marketing is a part of it too, but it's not all of the the hacks and tricks and 10 ways to to get ahead that you see out there. So if I hear one more life hack, I'm just going to be okay. like, it's, it's not though. You're just intuitively using a thing that yeah. existed and already had a like fun new ways to brush your teeth, more effective ways. I'm like, why? Yep. Just the wheel is working just fine. You're too brushing for two minutes. You're good. Right. Like, <laughs> The, the things we do to try and get attention yeah. are so exhausting. And I actually, I've been thinking about this. You kind of just sold me on the idea. I've been thinking a lot lately about unfollowing nearly everyone I follow on Instagram in my own niche, but also even, is it niche or niche? I don't know. I think it's both. You in can, my I, own arena. I say both sometimes, <laughs> depends on the context. Yeah, who knows? So, yeah. but just like deciding, let me just shut the noise down because I'm comparing myself yeah. or comparing my work or comparing someone else's success or unintentionally stealing someone's ideas, not trying mm. to, but realizing like, oh yeah, I'm writing something, but this is none of my work. This is not what even matters to me. This is something I read on someone else's page that I'm just expanding on. That's not okay. And that's also not the rea- the truth of what I want to create because that's what takes so long to create, right? When you yeah. sit down to build something and it's feeling really stuck or really truncated or just not clear, 
I take a moment and say like, is this actually my thought? Not that any thought is truly an original thought, but is this really what I'm trying to say? Or am I just trying to do something meaningful that someone else already did? And I think I can put my own spin on it and make it better. That's just obnoxious. So I think you might've unintentionally convinced me. I think I might go. Well, and now, now you're convincing me. I think it's, it is something we should do every couple years, if not like every quarter, just go through and do a reset. Like who am I following that is just pouring negativity into my feed or that is no longer serving me get rid of anything that isn't inspiring you educating you or delighting you that That way when you are spending time on social media it is productive and it is bringing balance into your life instead of just fueling the anxieties and the imposter syndrome and everything else that man it's hard it's hard to be in a a world that's so driven with social media and you're always well for some comparing yourself to to others, which isn't even their real self. That's just the self that they're choosing to show you. So yeah. And, and even socially, it can be difficult when you run a business page and you follow people that you care about in real life, but you realize like, I, I would rather like talk to you in real life about what you're going through than just, I remember I ran up to a friend once I was like, Hey, how have you been? What have you been up to? And they're like, did you see my Instagram stories? I'm like, no, I definitely didn't. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) Exactly. Even if I had seen it, I was like, oh, that's amazing. I like will intentionally not engage it so that when I see them, I can say, can you tell me about your life instead of showing me a snapshot? Like, engage with me. I'm right here. And so, yeah, Yeah, everybody's going to be like, why did Mandy unfollow us? And we say, because I care (laughs) about you in real life, not in digital world. Disconnect to reconnect. Please don't take it personally. And if you do, I feel like that's on you. And I love you. It Uh, is. Yeah. All right, Mandy. Well, as we move to wrapping up, I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pitch whichever one you'd like or, or both if you so desire. But the first one is what's your favorite place you visited in the past five years? Or number two, what is a recent adventure that you went on? And in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Did you learn anything? What was like the best meal you had there? Give us some of the details. Oh man. Okay. So the last five years, to be fair, four of those have been during a pandemic, right? Yeah, true. It can Uh, be longer ever in your life. If you so want. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, ever favorite trips, one of my favorite places in the world is Glacier National Park. It is so overwhelmingly breathtaking. And I will never forget just standing. We went swimming in a lake. I don't remember which one it was, but we just pulled off of the trail drove down and we're like, let's go swimming. And we dive into the water and we're having the best time. And it's clear as glass. It's just, it it's is. wild. You can see all those bright, colorful rocks down to the bottom, no matter how deep you are. We're like halfway out there and we realize there's people coming down. We're like, oh, look, there's people. Why aren't they dressed formally? Why aren't they carrying a table? What the heck? Is that a wedding cake? Oh, they're having a wet. <laughs> they're getting married out here. <laughs> the guy was like, don't worry. We'll tag you in the pictures. Just please stay out there. And we're like, <laughs> Okay. Awkward. Weird, but okay. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to say no, I'm going to do it. No. So we just swam in the background of someone's wedding oh, um, awesome. that I think national parks are underrated. I realize a lot of people love them and go to them, but I think we, they're highly underrated. I got to go to Zion. I almost died in Zion a few years ago. Now that I'm thinking about it because it was 107. Cool. I drank my entire like 40 ounce water bottle and just a little hike. We didn't even go into the ravine that like the water can be there it was dry and we got back and I was dry sweating, right? I'd gotten past, 
I was getting heat exhaustion and I chugged like a 20 ounce coconut water. And I was just like, I'm going to die. I think the coconut water saved my life. Um, yeah. So that's my favorite place. Uh, national parks. I did just go on a trip to Florence with some friends, uh, Oregon, not Italy, yep. which is too bad. No, still beautiful. <laughs> Super beautiful. It's a sweet yep. little town. And it is a cool, quaint little town. I the love place that. really reset quite well. We were actually stayed on a lake at a house on a lake instead this time. And we woke up in the morning and just watched the steam and the fog rising on the water. And there were otters mm-hmm. in this lake. I'm like, oh, what? There are lake otters? Okay. And just yeah. happily right at the edge of the water. It was so magical. And I intentionally didn't take any work related stuff. Good. My brain does things where it'll see something and think, uh, of course, in marketing, right? Because I also do some marketing work on the side for other companies. And uh, my everything is thinking, I'm always thinking about the messaging, like the the way they're communicating things and like looking for imagery and thinking about framing photographs or whatever it is. And I just intentionally didn't do any of that. Anytime I caught myself saying, that's a really great article idea. Maybe nope, hopefully it'll come back to me. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Who cares at this point? I cannot produce if I'm not filling my cup and I can't fill while I'm pouring at the same time. So Mm-hmm. respect for setting those boundaries that is so important like gotta have trips and just time where you leave the work behind and it's hard like work will pop up but reminding yourself to let it go if it's important it will come back yeah and in people-driven businesses like mine too I have to have boundaries around that with my relationships I'm very clear with people and say like hey I do you want solutions or comfort because I and predisposed to solutions like so many people are, but I love when my friends can just say comfort. And if I need solutions, we can work together or you can give me advice as a friend. And I was like, either is true. Yeah. So it's nice, even in that context, because it was with some best friends that I was able to step back and just exist and be a human and not be a professional in any way. Yeah. That's a great reminder for me too, because I'm definitely someone that always wants to, to help solve people's problems. And especially in a marriage, you know, that's not always what you need to do. <laughs> Sometimes Allie just needs me to to listen and not try to yeah. fix her problems for her. She just yeah. needs to be heard. So catch myself in some moments where I'm trying to prescribe solutions and just need to say, oh, I, that's really hard that you're going through that, but it's normal and it's okay that you feel this way. Yeah. I think too, just, I, I catch myself in the middle of it. I'll start talking and say, hold on, my brain's trying to solve the problem. Do you yeah. want insight or just comfort? And it really, it changes things, especially. I'm going to use that insight. Yeah, that phrase, yeah. and even the humility to interrupt myself and say, this is actually not, what I'm saying is not important because I think a lot of us really believe everything we have to say is the most important thing, which it's just not. <laughs> nope, definitely not. Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap things up. Do you have any parting advice or, or a challenge for people listening before we wrap up and I ask where people can find you online, socials, all that kind of stuff? I do. So as a certified grief educator, one of the big things I am responsible for, in my opinion, is teaching other people how to witness well for people who are grieving because a hundred times a day, right? I get calls that are like, Hey, how do I my person is hurting and I don't know what to do, or they've been hurting for so long and I need to know how to help them. And I, 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 I need, need, need. And so for me, I say, well, actually what you need does not matter. What you need doesn't matter as a witness for someone else's grief. What you need to do is be quiet. 
And one of the best ways to practice that is to just actively listen without responding, without listening to try and formulate an answer, just being present with someone and saying, I'm here to literally be with you. There's this um, super silly scene in the movie, Lars and the Real Girl. Do you know? I have not seen it. No, I have not seen it. It's wild. It's so funny. Uh, The main character falls in love with an inflatable doll. Okay. And at one point, the inflatable doll has become ill and is dying and he's mourning and his door opens and people he knows come in and they just sit down next to him on the couch. They've got food in the kitchen or whatever. And they're just knitting. And he says something like, well, why are you here? Because this is what you do because you, you be with people who are hurting and they're not accomplishing anything other than just being present. Yeah. Just Um, being there. And it's astounding how we think that's not enough. So that's my parting thought, figure out how to be quiet and just sit with people. And to say, if they, you know, if they reject you and say, no, thank you, that it's not about you. No, I mean, it, it certainly could be, but most of the time it's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Where can we find and support you online, Mandy? All the, all the socials website, we'll drop everything in the show notes. Yeah. So everything is at Mandy K part, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, my restorative grief project is that free private coaching group that I talked about. Yep. It's hosted on Facebook. Uh, and then my book and is on Amazon. And then my website's mandykpart.com. My podcast and everything is linked to their Patreon, all the things. Awesome. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes for all of you listening. And, you know, if, if anyone is going through grief right now and any of what we've talked about today resonates, you'll have the links. Reach out to Mandy. I'm yeah. sure she's very open to, to starting a conversation and helping wherever she can. So, Thank you so much, Manny. This has been a a very refreshing conversation. Um, Definitely given me some things to ponder and I appreciate you making the time. Yeah, I wasn't, like I said, it was an honor to come on and be on your show. So thanks for making space for a grief conversation because they're not so fun. (laughs) Well, this one was fun. Oh, good. I mean, like I said, I get really excited at the end of these things, but I understand that that's uncommon. (laughs) No, it's something that we, we all go through or will go through at some point in life. So why stigmatize it? Let's talk about it and talk about ways to move on. Well, you'll never fully move on as we said, it's always a process, but move forward. That's the way to put it. So thanks again. Yeah. To all of our adventurous listeners. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone, you know, will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.